Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow. Good to be with you for the next 60 minutes. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. And Big Blue Kickoff Live, as always, is presented by Coors Light. So, it is official. Earlier today, the Giants announced that they have added veteran offensive lineman Mike Remmers to the roster. He is now becoming acclimated with his new teammates. He's going to start working out with the new team as well. And we'll get into the nuts and bolts regarding the Mike Remmers signing. And we'll get to your phone call at 201-939-4513. So, Paul, you and I spoke about Remmers yesterday in great detail. At yes. that point, it was unofficial. Now we can act as if he is a member of the roster. We don't well, have to is. speculate anymore. He's out of practice. Indeed. <laughs> and this is somebody that is going to compete at the right tackle spot in all likelihood with Chad Wheeler as well as Georgia Safoadje, their seventh-round pick out of Kentucky. And it's also a player that adds some additional versatility to the offensive line. And the reason being, he's played every single position with the exception of center. He's been at right. left guard, he's been at right guard, and he's been at both tackle spots. Now, not that you ever wish an injury to appear, but this is football, it happens, and if need be, knowing that he could be slid into another spot, I think is a benefit to this Giants offensive line overall. Without question, Lance, and I think it's important to remember as people look at Mike Remmers as a newcomer to this team, that they don't look at exactly what his stats were coming off of last season because he was a guard for the Vikings. He was out of position. Uh, his best position is right tackle. Now, last year, out of necessity, he played right guard and admittedly did not have his best season. So what I decided to do, and we'll get into this in just a little bit. I, I don't want to break it down right away because it's a little bit of minutia. But I went back to be fair. And I looked at all of, of Mike Remmers' snaps as a right tackle, as opposed to when he played right guard, left tackle, or left guard. And I wanted to isolate what I saw on tape. I looked at the coach's tapes, and I saw what he did exclusively at the right tackle position. And let me just say, from a generic perspective, this guy is a steady, quality right tackle in the National Football League. He is a scrapper. We're talking about a Richie Soybert kind of guy, but at right tackle. Richie, of course, was a left guard when he played for the Giants. It won't always be pretty. It won't always be smooth, but he works. He's a guy who will scrap and fight, much like, that's why I use Richie as a great example, because it's all about being effective getting the job done, keeping the guy off of your quarterback, making sure you get in the way of the defender so he can't get to the ball carrier on a running play. That's what Remmers does. Six foot five, 310 pounds, similar frame and body type to Luke Pettigrew, former Giants offensive lineman of years past out of Notre Dame. So he's not a bulldozer like Kareem McKenzie. Okay, he's not. What he is, is a guy who just uses his technique, his guile, his guts, and his scrappiness and effort to keep people away from the ball carrier. And you know what? Isn't it any, uh, any wonder why Dave Gettleman had him on the Panthers? Because that's the kind of yeah. guy Dave Gettleman wants. Those grinders. He likes that. No, I think that's a very fair point. And it's also a player that was undrafted out of Oregon State in 2012, moved around from practice squad to practice squad, roster to roster, and really didn't get a true opportunity until, to your point, Dave Gettleman claimed him off the Rams practice squad in 2014, and then the rest is history. He became a key starter for that Panthers offensive line that ultimately went to a Super Bowl. They lost to the Broncos, but he was a key ingredient, and then he spent a season with Pat Shermer in Minnesota in 2017, was also in Minnesota last year, as you mentioned, when he moved to guard. So he's moved around, he's grinded it out, and he's never taken anything for granted because when he came out of college, he was an afterthought, well, essentially, in NFL circles. This is his seventh organization in the National Football League between practice squad stops and also regular roster stops. And he has been a starter now for the better part of the last four years. So, you know, his career has taken an upswing. Don't hold it against him. No, that the first couple of years coming out of school, he was on some practice squad teams and bounced around. Now, this is a guy who has gutted it out. He has showed perseverance and he has overachieved, and, and he's had to earn everything he's gotten. 
Well, and that's a positive. That's why I brought it up, Paul. Yeah. I think, if anything, it speaks volumes of his work ethic because he wasn't handed anything. He wasn't considered a top prospect coming out of college. And as you mentioned, Broncos, Bucks, Chargers, first stint with the Vikings, Rams, Panthers, Vikings again, and now the Giants. That's his laundry list of teams going all the way back to 2012. For you folks who go back into the 80s, think of Brad Benson of the Giants, who was a, a guy who was cut from the Patriots. He was on the scrap heap. And the Giants wound up bringing him in, played a little guard, wound up settling in at left tackle. And Brad Benson would tell you, everybody remembers the bloody nose and the Band-Aid in the Super Bowl and, you know, that permanently scarred nose that he carried with him for the entire career that he was in the NFL. Uh, a scrapper. And, and that's, that's what Brad Benson was. He, he was over there. He was never going to be the most athletic. He was never going to be the strongest. He was never going to be the smoothest. Almost every single week he was going to go up against the defensive end who by all rights, based on physicality, should get the better of him. But it didn't happen. Brad Benson went to the Pro Bowl that year in 86 when the Giants won the Super Bowl, was the first ever offensive lineman to be named NFC Offensive Player of the Week when he shut out Dexter Manley of the Redskins, who at the time was one of the most feared edge pass-rushing defensive ends in the National Football League. So that's what you're getting, basically. You're getting Brad Benson at right tackle, Richie Soybert at right tackle. Those That kind of guy, if you can go into your memory banks and think about giants of years past, that's the kind of guy Mike Remmers is. Now, here's another thing to take into consideration when you think about Remmers and what he'll bring to the team, at least from a notebook standpoint, classroom standpoint. The Giants this season are going to be going up against NFC North foes. And what division did he just come from? Mm -hmm. He came from Minnesota in the NFC North. He's familiar with some of the pass rushers is what I'm bringing up here that the Giants are going to see at least throughout their four games against that division. So, you know, that's another side note in terms of perhaps what his signing will bring to the table, his familiarity with the personnel that he can provide for himself as well as the remainder of the offensive line. Now, I know you did some computations, Paul, so why don't you throw out some of the numbers that you saw in terms of when he played specifically at tackle, though. This is not a reflection of what he did at guard. This is just during his tenure Correct. as a tackle. At right tackle. Yeah, specifically I, the position he's expected at, to play. I didn't look at left tackle tape. I went back and looked at the coaches' films when Remmers was playing right tackle. The last year that he was a full-time right tackle was 2017, okay? He played 10 games as the starting right tackle for the Vikings that year, allowed three sacks. Jordan got him from the Saints, Dupree got him from Pittsburgh, and Zettel got him from Detroit. Those three sacks came in the month of September. The next seven games that he played... He did not allow a sack. Went seven weeks in a row without giving one up. Now, one of those games was against Cleveland when he only had six snaps and he had to come out of the game because of a concussion on October the 29th. But that is the best indication you're going to get and the most recent indication of what he brings to the table as a starting right tackle. You remember the Vikings went far into the playoffs that year and nearly won a bid to the Super Bowl, having getting a... Uh, uh, sidetracked by the Saints. Well, they wound up uh, beating the Saints, actually, in that game. You talk about that's the Minnesota I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, Stephon Diggs, the Eagles they lost to. Eagles they yep. lost to. Yep. Beat the Saints and lost to the Eagles. And, and they were within a game of going to the Super Bowl. And so three sacks in 10 games that year. I've got other stats uh, from his 2014, 15, and 16 seasons. I watched that tape as well when he was playing right tackle. We'll get into that later. I just wanted to give you a flavor of 17 because I think that is probably the best example that you can go to. It's the most recent. It's close to season. And yeah. it's also a full body of work playing the right tackle spot, which is where the Giants want him. Again, three sacks in 10 games, seven consecutive games without one. That's that's okay. You You'll, you'll take that. Three of the last four seasons also played and started all 16 games. The exception was that season that you just talked about, 2017, when he was limited to 11 games and missed five. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat. Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. Let's open up the phone lines, give you an opportunity to weigh in. Just in case you're just joining us, the Giants have made it official. They have added veteran offensive lineman Mike Remmers, who is expected to compete for a starting job at right tackle. As we open up the phone lines on 
Tuesday's edition. We check in first with Dan in Piscataway. Dan, welcome aboard. What do you have for us? How you doing, Lance? How you doing, Paul? Hi, you're very well, Dan. I remember Brad Benson, and I already feel better about the Remmer sign and just listening to you. But where I was going is, um, you know, looking at Remmer's pro football focus grades, he's not much better than Wheeler, and Wheeler's still coming into his third year. And do you think they're just going to hand him the job? No, not at or all. Do you think Wheeler's going to get a chance to compete? They're going to compete. I don't think they're handing anybody a job, and I think part of the attractiveness of a guy like Remmers is to bring in a proven veteran to help push Chad Wheeler. Not that Wheeler thinks anything's going to be handed to him, because remember, Wheeler was an undrafted player as well out of USC. So he didn't come into the league thinking, hey, you know, I'm owed everything. But I think when you bring in more competition, perhaps it can bring out the best in a player. So no, I do not think Remmers is just going to be handed the starting job. He's going to compete, and they're also going to explore what Georgia Safoadje, their seventh-round pick out of Kentucky, brings to the table. Now, you don't, you don't need to hear me repeat this, but I will. You know how I feel about analytics and just pure numbers. You, you just It's a mistake to look at those and think that that's the beef of what the guy brings to the table. But I would further implore you not to look at what you see last year. Because whatever stats they gave him last year are not relevant. He played right guard last year. He's not going to play right guard for the Giants. He's looking to be the right tackle. So you have to go back to 2017 if you even want to put any credence into those numbers. Yeah, all right. That's fair. That's fair. Um, but boy, do I remember Brad Benson. And I remember that season so well. That was a beautiful season. And I just, you know, Joe Paterno... Yeah, after I think after Benson made the Pro Bowl, they asked Joe Paterno about him, and he he was just he said, "Well, he must have learned to block after he left Penn State." That's and true. I that was pretty cool. That's, that's true. I remember that. You know, that is I very true. Like an open. That's right, good Dan, stuff. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. And you know, keep in mind, this is the type of off season where I don't think the Giants are harming themselves in any capacity, Paul, in bringing in more options. You know, there's a lot of jobs that are up for grabs across the roster, specifically when you look on the defensive side of the ball. You know, for everybody to overreact to when there's a signing and be like, this guy's going to automatically be the starter and there's not going to be any competition. They're in no position to think that way, at least the majority of these players. The whole point is add more volume to the roster, add more competition, and let the best man win in training camp. And this is where this Remmers signing falls into place. Well, I would say this. I know that Remmers has the connection to Shula and Gettleman and uh, Shermer as well, but you have to believe if based on the written reports are accurate, he did have some other options. He didn't take any other visits. After the Vikings, he had asked for his release because he didn't want to take the pay cut. He gets set free. He immediately shows up on the Giants' doorstep. That's the first place he goes to and doesn't take any other visits. It's clear he wants to play for Shermer. He wants to be in Gettleman's organization again. So what I'm saying to you is, you know, this is a decision that is not made in a bubble. The Giants may have wanted him and liked him, but he also obviously decided not to take any other visits because he wants to be here. You have to believe he thinks that and wants that because he understands he's got a real good shot to be the starter. You know what I'm saying? Well, and he He's got to have a leg up on, on Wheeler. Now, again, it'll be a competition, but he's got to come in basically believing that he's going to earn that job. He's got to. If he doesn't come in, I'd be stunned. He should. He's got I mean, a lot more experience than Wheeler right because now. Because otherwise, he should have taken other visits and gone somewhere else. Well, but I think a lot of it has to do with multiple factors that you just talked about. There could be the appeal of claiming a starting job. I think that probably is number one. Number two is how many other coaches right now that are across the league has he had experience with? Has he crossed paths with? Remember, it's not just... <laughs> He's been in seven organizations, no, yeah. well, but, but a lot of those stops I'm sure were, he knows a lot of those A lot people. of those stops, though, were brief, though. He was with Gettleman and Shula for multiple years, though. There's a big difference, Paul. Not a long time. We're talking about 2014 to 2016. If you look that's at not his, a lot of years. Well, compared to all of his other stops, that's an eternity. <laughs> I mean, look, look at all of his other stops. Let, let, let's put it this way, okay? I, I believe that, that Mike Remmers knows enough of people around the league that if he was looking to go somewhere else and leverage or try to, 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 to make a decision between multiple stops, I think he would have had that opportunity. He is a quality right tackle. And there are no quality 
tackles available in the free agent market these days. And God knows teams around the league need them. You know, one of the things that was said by the by the agent when uh, I guess after he got cut by the, the Vikes was he wants to go back to playing right tackle. He wasn't interested in playing guard. It didn't work out so well last year for him. He had great success at that position. He wanted to be a right tackle. And I and you know, I remember when when remember when uh, Okun came to visit the Giants a couple of years ago yep. and they they were asking him about right tackle and he's like, "No, no, I'm a left tackle and I'm going to play left tackle." And then he left. He didn't did no deal. Well, this is a guy who actually wants to play the spot that the Giants were looking to fortify. So that that in itself is also a well, tremendous fit. Yeah, I mean it works out for both parties because you're coming together and you don't really have to meet midway because he wants that position. The Giants want competition at that position. I'm in agreement. It makes a lot of sense. But I also think that some of the conversations that he may have had with other teams, Paul, may have been, hey, there's potential for you to come in, compete, but we also want to see what we do in the draft. Because remember, the draft comes first. And if you could bring in a younger guy that you could groom, I can understand a team going in mm-hmm. that direction. Now, in fairness, the Giants have now a mixture of both. Wheeler's still a young player. They drafted an offensive tackle who could play the right side in the seventh round, and Remmers is a proven veteran. So you have a mixture of guys that are going to come in, compete, and I agree with you. I think Remmers should be in the driver's seat. There's no reason why he shouldn't feel that way. He's got by far more experience than both of those guys combined. Let's head back to the phone lines as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. We check in with A.J. in South Carolina. What's happening, A.J.? Uh, thanks for attacking my call. Uh, I know uh, Julian Love. Uh, do you think he got a good chance of starting at the uh, slot? I did not hear which player you mentioned, AJ. Can you repeat his name? Uh, 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 Julian Love. Uh, Julian Love. He got a good chance of starting at the cornerback spot in terms of the nickel. Well, his versatility, I think, is an attractive option to the Giants. He's played safety, or at least they're going to experiment at that position. I think he has the skill set to play there. And if you look at the cornerback position right now, Janoris Jenkins and DeAndre Baker, I think, are in the driver's seat as we continue this theme of who potentially is going to start on the outside, which means Love is going to, in all likelihood, battle for that third cornerback spot, which most likely would put him at the nickel spot. Remember, they're going to move these corners around. You know, they're not necessarily glued to one spot. Depends on also the matchups, the wide receivers game to game. But yeah, I do think that that, to me, is an ideal position for him starting day one here with the Giants. And my uh, my other point on um, uh, Marcus uh, Golden uh, at, at the linebacker, uh, they need a, a pass rush. Uh, think he got a good chance of starting a linebacker? Well, we were talking about this yesterday, AJ, and appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. You got it. When Paul and I were getting into, you know, the pass rush, the 30 sacks last season, Will they improve on those numbers? And it's really going to be a joint effort in that department. Now, you know, Paul, when you look at the makeup of that position, that outside linebacker spot, you've got a few different guys that you're looking to take the next step. Marcus Golden is one of them. James Betcher, I've said this on this program, I think he speaks very highly of Marcus Golden, and, and he emphasized this when he spoke to the media the other week. He reminded everybody, he said, don't forget, Marcus Golden was, before the torn ACL in 2017, one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. And he proved that with 12 and a half sacks. And he and Chandler Jones both had double-digit sacks with the Cardinals. That was the first time they had multiple guys reach double digits since 1984. So it says a lot about how far that organization has come along. So you look at a guy like Golden, you look at a guy like O'Shane Zimenez, who they drafted out of Old Dominion in the third round. Kareem Martin, I think Paul, also belongs in the conversation. So I think they're going to mix and match and I think James Betcher is not necessarily banking on, I can only play two guys on the edge throughout an entire game. I think he's going to try to maximize the usage and also make sure that he doesn't run some of these guys into the ground. So I don't look at it as which guy's going to start. I think it's about do they have the potential between four or five guys to get as much pressure on the quarterback. That's the way that I'm going to view it entering this season. Well, I don't think there's any other way you can look at it right now because the Giants don't have that one bona fide proven pass rusher if you consider that Golden may or may not be the guy who had 12 and a half sacks in 2016. Still looking to get back to that level. You just don't know. So what choice do you have, honestly? 
Yeah. So, I mean, that to me is, I think, how you have to look at it. And let's see what develops during the course of camp and the preseason. You know, I'm sure some guys are going to make names for themselves and stand out. But Lorenzo Carter, Marcus Golden, Kareem Martin, O'Shane Zimenez, and if you want to throw Avery Moss into the conversation, which I think is valid given the fact that you know he's been dealing with injuries, he's been on the practice squad, those are the five players you're looking at that are of at least name notoriety to Giants fans. Let's see who emerges. But Carter flashed late last season. He flashed late in terms of them asking him to play in coverage. That Niners game when he was asked to defend a running back, you know, that's what stands out to me. Golden, the narrative is, can he get back to his 2017 level? Avery Moss, show me time. That's how I would label him. And then Kareem Martin, who was mainly a good rotational player last year. You know, can he take now a step forward? Because he's got familiarity with James Betcher. Okay, this is now year two with the Giants. Do they ask him to spread his wings a little bit more? So you see, everybody's coming in with a different storyline. And I think they all have more than enough motivation to prove that they could be a consistent pass rusher. And O'Shane Zimenez, who I didn't mention, he's got no narrative connected to the Giants. It's just a matter of him now making the transition from Old Dominion to the Giants. Let's head back to the phone lines. We've got Daniel in Brooklyn. Daniel, welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you got for us? Daniel going once. Daniel going twice. Daniel going three times. A man of very few words on this Tuesday afternoon. Let's see if Ross in Philly is a little bit more talkative than Daniel. What's happening, Ross? Hey, guys. How are you? Doing very well. What do you got for us? Uh, no, I was just wondering um, who you guys think um, has been the best free agent signing. Um, and I, if you're impartial, you just who do you think will have the most impact? Um, and then do you think, um, when do you think the next signing will be, if any? So maybe camp, maybe injuries. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think if there's going to be another signing, probably would happen right before training camp because I think at this point, the Giants are looking to see what develops in OTAs, give some of the young guys additional reps. And sometimes free agents also who are well-established, keep in mind, they don't really want to be here during OTAs. They wait till the beginning of camp. We've seen that very often throughout the league. So, I mean, I think that may be the timeline. Uh, Obviously, if an injury occurs, I think that changes the game. As far as, you know, the best off-season edition. Now, I'm assuming you're talking about just the new additions, Ross, right? You're not talking about anybody that was re-signed. Because there's one guy that I think the Giants re-signed that I think is extremely valuable. And the guy that I'm going to throw out is, I love the Russell Shepard re-signing. I I think Shepard fell through the radar last season. He's a coverage guy on special teams, extremely valuable. And I thought he did a really nice job filling in when they had injuries at the wide receiver spot. So I would not dismiss that in terms of, of the guys that returned. In terms of the new faces, I'd probably go with Golden Tate. Golden Tate's a wide receiver that's had over 90 receptions in each of his last few seasons when he's been a member of one team because last year he split between the Lions and the Eagles. I think they're going to move him around. I think he's a great veteran wideout for Eli Manning to rely on. So I'd probably label Golden Tate because remember, Kevin Zeitler was not a free agent signing. So I don't throw him into that group. He would be my next guy on the list if you want to expand it to trades slash other transactions. But free agent, pure free agent signing, Golden Tate would be the top of my list. Do you have uh, anybody else, Paul, that I, I don't comes have a problem with that. to the top of the list? Okay. So that, I think, is the best way to describe the situation. Well, let, let's throw it out to you, Ross. Who jumps out to you? I mean, you posed the question to us. What about your opinion? Uh, I agree. With, I definitely agree with Golden Tate. Um, <laughs> not, you know, to... Uh, to step in and help the younger receivers um, like Russell Shepard and Sterling Shepard. Um, I'm glad that we signed Sterling Shepard to a longer deal. He was um, He's a player. He's a fan favorite, I think. Um, and he's definitely a guy who can uh, step it up now that Odell's gone. Um, I think having Odell, when they first traded Odell, I was a little nervous. But I think in the long run, we'll be um, a lot better, better off um, moving forward You know, as a whole as a team. So. Absolutely. I think that's a fair assessment of the situation, Ross. Appreciate the phone call. I think the way to look at it is the Giants now are going to have a wide receiver by committee. And what I mean by that, it's not as if one guy in particular is not capable of going off, but it could be one of those receiving situations where Sterling Shepard goes off one game. 
Golden Tate goes off another game. Evan Ingram leads the crew the next game. You know, maybe one of the complementary wide receivers who they have on the roster. If Cody Latimer, Benny Fowler, Corey Coleman, they may have their game. I think it's going to be one of those seasons as opposed to consistently one guy in particular, Paul, exploding. Because when you had Odell Beckham on the team, were there some quiet games for him? Absolutely. But for the most part, Odell more often than not was the guy that led the team in receptions and receiving yards. This season, I think it's a little bit more of a guessing game, which, you know what? I don't think it's a bad thing because it's going to keep defenses on their toes. Do you want to put the pressure on Golden Tate? Do you want to put it on Sterling? Do you put your attention with Evan Ingram? It, it gives defenses a little bit more to think about as opposed to you're going up against Giants, you think Odell immediately, and then you're saying to yourself, make everybody else beat us. Well, I thought you would respond to that. <laughs> There's not I much else to, to say. Well, okay, because it's, it's, maybe... it, it's pretty self-evident. I mean, you don't have the 90 or 100 catch guy anymore, although Golden Tate has caught 90 passes and 1,000 yards worth of receiving yards yes. three different times. It's not like he can't do it, although that is a few years ago, and I don't expect him to do that now. I mean, I was just looking up the, the last Giants Super Bowl season in 2011, and Cruz caught 82 balls, Knicks caught 76, but then you had three other Giants in the 30s, Manningham, Ballard, Bradshaw coming out of the backfield, yep. and you know that Saquon's going to catch at least 90 balls this year. You know, so there, there's a bunch of receptions that are going to go to him. I Look, I, I wrote on the last cover three you guys put out on Giants.com that I think Saquon's going to lead the team receiving I was again. with you. We were on the same line on that you one. You know, so there's no way Golden Tate's going to have the most receptions. It's going to be Saquon Barkley. It, it's Barkley's team. So, you know, he's good for 91 last year. Why wouldn't he be good for 90 again this year? But I could see Golden finishing second. And Sterling actually being third, if you were to ask. Possibly. I could see that. Possibly. Wouldn't shock me if Evan Ingram is second. Certainly in the conversation. Somebody on the Giants, besides Barkley, is going to catch a minimum of 60 balls this year. Barkley's going to be over 90. Someone's going to be in the 60s. Someone's going to be in the 50s. And then after that, it's going to be a real mixture. That's how I see it. Yeah. I agree with that breakdown, and I don't think a mixture is a bad thing. No, it's not. Let the competition prove who deserves a jersey every weekend. Remember, special teams' impact is going to decide who that fourth, who maybe that fifth wide receiver is going to be. So those are the things to watch out for. That's why I think Russell Shepard's value gets sometimes overlooked, because more often than not, he's going to get a jersey because they know they can throw him out there for special teams. Who else can prove that they can contribute with the coverage teams, or maybe as a return guy? Let's head back to the lines. Jeff is in Huntington. Jeff, Welcome to the program. What do you got for us? Uh, thank you. Hi, guys. Um, regarding uh, Mike Remmers, you know, you know the, the reports prior to him signing uh, with the Giants was that uh, uh, if Minnesota wanted him back, they were asking for a reduction in his salary. But then on the other hand, when you take a look at the signing right now, it, it, it seems like the Giants didn't did not put all their eggs in one basket because I'm not sure what the minimum – uh, salary is for a veteran of his years, but uh, if it is one million, as they say, it's it's really uh, uh, a, a salary structure that's really uh, uh, expecting him to see how he will perform because obviously he's coming back from minor back surgery. Correct. It, when you talk about Luke Pettigrew before, I mean, I remember Luke Pettigrew as being a guy who was. Uh, always out, it seemed, because of his back problems, and I'm hoping that history doesn't repeat itself again. But the point being is the, uh, the expectations that we may have on Mike Remmers, I think we should uh, temper it a little bit just to see what does take place in the competition and how he does maintain himself physically through the uh, throughout the season. Hopefully he will be there. But uh, the Giants didn't really give him what I thought was going to be something more than what they actually did. So I just thought, uh, what do you have to think about that? Yeah, I think that's a very fair take. I mean, that's what Paul and I pretty much have been echoing since yesterday's show when there was a lot of speculation. I don't think anybody should just assume that Mike Remmers is being handed the starting job and that's it. I think they want to test Chad Wheeler. They want to see the competition. They also want to see what George Asafo Adjay could bring to the table. So, I mean, if you want to analyze it from a financial standpoint, that's fine. I know a lot of people, they always look at the contract and they say to themselves, depending on the guaranteed money, well, th- this guy's absolutely going to start because there's no way that they would throw that type of money at a guy and not have him 
be the starter. I don't think you could look at the Remmer situation and have that immediate takeaway, which is pretty much what you just laid out, Jeff. So, I mean, I think it's a fair way that you're looking at it, and I don't think anybody should jump to the conclusion that just because they're bringing in a proven veteran that he's going to walk away with things. They're going to see how things develop, though I don't think it's crazy to say, hey, he's got a lot more experience than the other two guys on the roster right now. And he should be the favorite to win the job. But being the mm-hmm. favorite is completely different than actually winning the job. Sure it is. Yeah, and and, and to that point, uh, it still leaves open the door that possibly if there are good right tackles available in the draft next uh, next year, that it's, it keeps the door open for the Giants to look at that possibility if things just don't work the way they expect it to work. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think anybody is operating under the assumption that Mike Remmers is going to be, you know, a five-year solution at this position. I think right now they're thinking about 2019 because if you look at his contract, it's not as if they signed the guy to a 10-year deal. Let him compete. Let's see what happens this year. And then, of course, they can play out their other options in future drafts and future free agency periods. Yeah, I don't think you should look at it long-term in terms of this signing. This is one of the moves that the Giants have made for 2019, okay? Well, like when they drafted the quarterback at number six, that's a move for the future, okay? That guy's not supposed to play in 2019. This was a move to help 2019's one-loss record. That's what this was about. Understood. And and from Mike Remmer's point of view, possibly, since I don't know what his mind is, uh, I, when you're talking about all his familiarity with the coaches uh, from his past experiences, I, I think that that was obviously the biggest thing why he decided to go the, uh, with the Giants. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's something that clearly jumps off the page, and I think there's some substance behind that, Jeff, and appreciate the phone call. If you have a choice to sign with multiple teams, they're all pretty much giving you the chance to compete and win a starting job. What's the difference maker going to be? The difference maker is probably going to be, Paul, geography. You know, if you have a family, the kids, the wife, the better half, whatever it may be, where they're happy to live. And then the second factor to me is who do you know? You know, where do you feel most comfortable? You know, it wouldn't surprise me if one of the factors, and I'm sure it was a small one, but I still think it may have been a factor. Uh, Wimmers comes in here saying, well, if I win the right tackle job, which I think I will, I'm going to be playing next to Zeitler. And Zeitler is widely regarded around the league as the best pass-blocking right guard in football. And he's also, by the way, a tough SOB, a scrapper, a blue-collar guy who will bleed for you and punch you in the nose. I mean, think about that. That means those two guys on the right side are both similar kind of players. Very nasty. And they, they have they have they have, you know, that 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 fighter's mentality on that side of the line. I mean, you know, he's a good fit is what I'm saying. I think those two guys are gonna get along marvelously well. Great compliments to one another, and I think that that could have been part of the thought process for Mike Remmers. I just, my feeling is, I don't know if you can ever really go into a season, especially an offensive lineman should know this better than anybody, Paul, and just assume that you're absolutely going to be playing next to the same guy the entire season, because you know the way injuries, position changes occur. I I just don't know if you can ever bank on it. He's going to be next to me for all 16 games. Do you think there are any offensive linemen out there who are itching to play next to Eric Flowers? I'm just making a point. I don't know where you're going with that. Well, no, the point is, I do think it makes a difference. I do think that a player says, look, that's the guy I'm going to be playing next to. I'd like to know about his demeanor, his quality of play, his reliability, because if the guy next to me isn't getting the job done and isn't the kind of scrapper and hard worker that I want him to be, guess what? He's playing next to me. That's a reflection of you. That's a problem for me. Of course. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely think that, that Zeitler did have a small factor in this decision. Well, and Remmers is somebody who's moved around, probably understands that better than most. That the guy you play next to, okay. of course, reflects your performance. So I'm now not going to disagree with you. You just there. hammered home my point further. Yeah. No, I, I think I didn't say that it wasn't on the radar. I just said if I were to list the priorities for Remmers oh, it's in low. terms of where I'm, sure I'm going down the list, yeah, it wouldn't be the first two or three things. But it's that not come a bad mind, thing, I'll tell you that. Well, on a show where we're breaking down just one free agent signing, it's fair to certainly bring up 17 different characteristics that may have gone through his mind prior to deciding to join the Giants. Let's reopen up the phone lines here on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, and let's go to Mike in Tenafly. Mike, welcome to the program. Good afternoon, what do you got? gentlemen. How are you? Good afternoon Hi. to you. 
Paulie, I'm the guy you see shopping every once in a while in uh, that famous store, that grocery <laughs> store. <laughs> Good to talk so, to you. How's go it going, back, man? Paulie, you would love this. I go back to the offensive lines of Bookie Bowl and Daryl De- Desk, Jack Stroud, Rosie Brown, and Ray Watteka. Ah. Giving way to uh, Greg. Uh, Greg Larson. Ray Watteka, by the way, for young ripper snappers like Lance over here, Ray, yeah. Ray Watteka was a phenomenal multiple-time All-Pro center. <laughs> Yeah, okay, fine. Good for you. Who, 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 who was there during the uh, the late 50s, early 60s? And you're right, Greg Larson. And then, and then, over the course of the years, the Giants have had some very good centers. And it goes back to Mel Hine. But think oh, sure. about this, right? Think about this. Think about uh, Bart Oates, right? Sure. Think about Sean O'Hara. Yeah. You know, they've, they've had a pretty good crop of centers over the yeah. years. But Witeka was the guy, well, I guess Mel Hines started it, but Witeka in the modern era was, was the first great giant center. Sure. I, I throw in Bob Hyland and Jim Clack, too. Jim, Jim Clack was with the Giants for only a couple of years, but he was with them in the 91 playoff season when they ended the 17-year drought. And Bob Hyland, by the way, from White Plains, if you remember, Bob, Bob was a, a, a center guard. He started out as a guard because Larson was playing center. And then when Larson retired, I want to say after the 73 season, Highland moved into the center spot. That's right. Good That's player, though. College, right? Boys good player. College. Yeah, good player. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Paul, question for you, I think, on the draft list during the draft date. This kid Adams, they, they signed. What was your scouting report on him, this Paul Adams out of Missouri? Thank yeah. You for your time. I'll catch you on aisle eight by the peanut butter. Okay, man. You take care. All right, guys. All right, Mike. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, appreciate the phone call. Uh, Adams to me is, is is really a project. Uh, I, I I don't I don't think that you know he comes immediately with you know add add water and ready to go and and to challenge for a spot on the fifty three. I, I just don't see it. Um, to me, he's got some limitations. But but having said that, the limitations are more in the run game than they are in the pass game. His pass blocking, which as you probably know at Missouri, that's what they do. I mean, they're just winging it. And so he does have some pass blocking skills coming from that that setup. Now, what he's going to have to learn, he's going to have to learn how to put his, foot, his, uh, his hand in the dirt because he's a stand-up pass blocker. And, and he's obviously going to have to get more physical and understand the run game better. I think he's a project. I think he potentially could be a, a practice squad guy. I don't know that he's going to challenge for the 53. 6-5-3-17, undrafted rookie out of Missouri. The thing is, we focus on the five guys that are in line to start. They got some depth. They got some options. So, I mean, Adams is going to be in the mix to compete. But, you know, you and I had this conversation yesterday, which relates to the last question. You know, how many offensive linemen are they going to keep? You know, we were talking eight, you know, nine, I think maybe pushing it because, as I've emphasized, if your starters can be moved around then you're not going to keep more guys on the depth chart because you can always move a guy like Remmers, if need be. Not that it should be your first call. You can move a guy like Jalapio if he doesn't win the starting job, or even if he does. You can maybe even move Pulley if you wanted to toy with him at guard. So when you have that versatility in the starting group, I don't know if you then need to hold on to four backup offensive linemen, which means eight are making this team. So the the guy who loses the center gig is probably going to be one of the backups, right? Yeah. Then you talk about one of the interior offensive linemen that has been here before, like uh, a veteran or one of the young guys or a Chad Wheeler, for example. If he doesn't beat out Remmers, you would think Wheeler would be in line to be one of your backups. Okay, so that means only one more spot. So realistically, this is no shot against Paul Adams. It's just from a numbers standpoint. He would have to impress them so much that he's going to jump in front of the Brian Mahalik's of the world, who were on the team last year, the Georgia Safo Adjays of the world, who was a seventh-round pick. Not to say that these guys are locks to make the roster. It's just these guys have a little bit more up in terms of what they bring with the resume as opposed to him, who is coming from a little bit of a smaller program and was undrafted. And then you got young guys like Evan Brown, who you mentioned yesterday, the backup center. Another guy, too. I mentioned Nick Gates Another guy. yesterday, who who's a backup guard. Uh, you know, I... Does, does Chad Slade even have a shot? The veteran who's been around a couple of teams over the years. He's a big guy, you know, but but he's bounced around. Now he's got experience much more than any of those other guys we just talked about. You know, does he have a shot to make it as one of the interior backups? I don't know. Uh, you know, here's the good news. They've got some bodies now. 
and they can tell him, fight it out. May the best guy win. And that's always a good thing, is when competition determines who makes the depth chart. That's good, okay? When you have to put a guy on the depth chart because we don't have anybody else, that's bad. More of a reason why they brought in a guy like Mike Remmers at this point to give him an opportunity to get acclimated with the team before you get to OTAs and training camp. Have a leg up, perhaps, on anybody else that they bring in. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. You're watching and listening to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Coors Light. We've got Charlie in Portland, Maine. Charlie, what's happening? Hey, guys. Hey, Paul. Charlie, yeah. you're a happy man. Hey, Really? I, it's I not am. Will Beatty the am. last time I, I checked. How happy is he? <laughs> I look at it this way. Um, Reamers is definitely the starting right tackle. Unless health-wise, he can't hack it for some reason, the back surgery didn't work, whatever. I think it's going to be a competition between Wheeler and, what was that guy's name, Mahalik? Because he was our swing tackle last year. I think it's going to be between those two who ends up being our swing tackle unless they bring a veteran in, which they probably won't. So to me is like I I see Wheeler not even be on being on his team if he has not improved this year because if he is the same guy he was last year I don't even think he'll be on the team that's the way I see it I, I would disagree I would disagree with you Charlie to be honest because Wheeler was the starter over Mahalik last year so what makes you think that they just don't bump down one how's Mahalik gonna beat out Wheeler this year if he couldn't beat him out last year. Well, I, I just think that the reason why Wheeler was the starter is because, like you just said, we didn't have anybody. There was no real competition. But Mahalik, that was his first year. So this no, 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 Mahalik, Mahalik no. was with the Eagles prior to that. Yeah. You know, he's, yeah, but not he, with us. But not with us. Right. Well, his first right. year with the Giants. Yeah. So he's got to have a, he's going to have another year under his belt, and maybe this guy is going to improve more and have a more of an upside than Wheeler had. I think Wheeler is where he's at. You know, this is the best you're going to get out of this guy. I don't care if he bulks up or whatever he does. It's just like Flowers and Hart. They, you know, they were in the, you know, the room and they were there all year round and they were going to get so much. Better Understand this though. Hold on a second, Charlie. Understand this, okay? Chad Wheeler, where he's at. Uh, let's assume for a second he does not improve, and I think that's really a, a poor assumption to make because he's still a young player, and he does work his butt off. The thing about him that you're going to like is that he does try his rear end off. Remember, a scrapper, okay, a scrapper who may not have as much talent as the next guy, because he's a scrapper, he's going to have a fighting chance. And I think that this coaching staff and this front office likes scrappers okay so do not sell him short as being the third tackle i just think you're making a mistake if you do all right charlie's hey, never made a mistake though when it comes to projections for the roster so i mean think about who we're talking to right now anyway go ahead charlie i'm sorry hey, I, yeah well i just want to know how was uh reamer's penalty uh situation who's Did reamer's by the penalties? way wait wait, wait hold on before we got to work this out charlie who's who's mike reamer's I, I'm not aware Reamer, of him. Reamer, who, who, who's Reamers? Okay. Well, is he a good? Do, do you think Reamers could play left tackle? I haven't had a scouting report on him. What do you think? Or is he maybe a better fit at right guard? Your thoughts? Either one. Either, Either one. one. Okay. Just want the clarification. Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yes. Yeah, I, back in 2017, when he was when he was a right tackle, he got called for one false start, three holes, and a face mask, which that's five penalties total. Uh, yeah. That's, 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 I'm, I'm not going to. Doesn't meet Charlie's standards. I'm, you know, I'm sorry if, if that doesn't meet your standards, (laughs) but I'm not, I'm not going to cry about that. that. That's not bad. Flowers does that in like the first five minutes of the game. So (laughs) (laughs) we don't, we don't need to talk about him anymore. And and by the way, Mike Rammers, uh, Charlie, I hate to disappoint you, but Mike Rammers, uh, has worn 74 throughout his career. And it would be logical to assume he'll take 74 here as well. Just, well, just as an he'll FYI. Improve, he'll improve that number a hell of a lot. Don't I give, would think so. Don't give him more material. Here. What are you okay, doing? Guys. Jeez. All right, Charlie. We appreciate the phone call. Always good from hearing Charlie in Portland, Maine. All right, let's move along here on the program. Scott in New Mexico has huge shoes to fill following that phone call. Scott, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening? Hi, guys. I hope I'll be able to fill those shoes. I hope so, too. (laughs) 
I had a question for you in regards to the Remmer signing. Um, Minnesota released him under what they call a failed physical designation, which obviously had to do with his back surgery and so forth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I was looking at films of him early on, uh, he impressed me more as a pass blocker than a run blocker. Am I wrong in that kind of assumption? No, no, not at all. He again, he he is he is not the biggest, strongest, thickest most ferocious bulldozer he's not a kareem mckenzie i tried to explain before i tried to give you guys characteristics as to how he plays there is no question he's a guy who's never going to make it look pretty it's going to be ugly a lot of times but he's going to keep the guy off your quarterback more often than he's not and the reason being that that's what stands out about his game is remember carolina they had michael orr as their starting left tackle he got hurt as opposed to just bringing in somebody new they moved the remmers to left tackle because of what paul just said they believe he could keep it clean for the quarterback so you know most guys they even play left tackle they're known as pass protectors not necessarily road runners at the run blocking situation right so if you had to quantify the offensive line as it's assembled now, and I'm not sure Remmers will be the starter, but say for argument for this particular scenario, he is. Uh, you know, both of you know that you win NFL football games on offense when you can run the football. So as the line is assembled right now, I know Zeitler is very good at that, but as you look at the rest of the people that are designated to do, are they more more defined as as protecting Eli, or do they have the ability to do pass blocking as well? And I, where my main concern is when the Giants get down to, say, the four- or three-yard line, obviously the opposing uh, team's three- or four-yard line, do they have that ability to obviously open up holes no matter who the back uh, is? And I was just curious what your opinion was as the line is assembled right now. All right, Scott, we'll leave you on that note, but we will answer your question and appreciate the phone call. Uh, Zeitler... I mean, look at what Cleveland did last year. And remember, he was part of the team where Nick Chubb had a very productive rookie year. Duke Johnson was more of a receiver, not necessarily a runner. But Cleveland, I thought, had a respectable running game. And even if you look at some of the guys that were there before Nick Chubb. So, I mean, Zeitler, to me, is a guy that I think is going to help in both elements, Paul. I wouldn't necessarily classify him. You know, I I mean, I'm not one that subscribes to all of this grading, but I look at him as a well-rounded offensive lineman. I think he's going to help in terms of the running game, and I also think he's a reliable option to help on the right side and improve that side for Eli Manning. Well, the upgrades between Jamon Brown and Zeitler, the upgrade there is in pass protection. The upgrade between Wheeler and Remmers is also in pass protection. So you've upgraded two spots on the right side of your line in pass protection. Um run blocking Zeitler's good yeah no one's gonna say he's not good he's good uh and Jamon Brown was good uh, that that could be a wash just in their run blocking that could be a wash uh but but in terms of in terms of Wheeler versus Remmers you know what <sighs> I think I, time will tell yeah I to me to me it's it's the huge upside in the pass protection that's why he that's why he's here now to the caller's point Solder is a better pass blocker than he is a run blocker. Same with Remmers. Same with Zeitler, although it's not to say he's a bad run blocker, but he's better in pass pro. Pulley, I think, is better in pass pro, although he's he's very athletic and he certainly gets out to the second level on the run. And Hernandez is a better run blocker. So I guess if he's asking, is this a better run-blocking or pass-blocking offensive line, which I think is the bottom line to that his was, question. That was, I think, the gist of it. It is a better pass-blocking offensive line right now. I would not deny that. However, if you're going to run and you've got to pound it and you've got to go to your four-minute offense, well, then you add your extra beef. You go to a jumbo package or you, you make sure that Ellison is in the game because yep. Ellison's going to help blocking, or maybe you keep a fullback on the roster and Elijah Penny's going to help out blocking there too. So I get the question. It's a valid question, but you can deal with that. You can work with that. And let's let's not kid ourselves, okay? The Giants understand that their defense is not going to be locked down. They're not going to hold people to 17 points a game this year, okay? They're not suddenly going to be a top-five defense in the league. They're going to win games by also knowing they're going to have to outscore some people on occasion. They'll need to put up 28 to 30 points. Well, to do that, they're going to have to throw it. 
And guess what? Your 38-year-old quarterback now has a chance to stand up, find a target, and unleash a completion. And that's good news. Well, I think the other thing that shouldn't be overlooked, you know, we're focusing on the offensive line, where the improvement is. If the last caller is also asking about the running game, look at what Saquon Barkley did with some issues on the offensive line. And look at what he's capable of doing. The reason I'm bringing that up, Paul, you give Barkley an opening, he's more than capable of then finishing the rest himself because he'll make people miss. Mm -hmm. So the goal is, are you looking for parting of the Red Sea? Yes, you'd love that, of course. You're just looking to make sure that Barkley can get to that second level. Because once Barkley gets to the second level, I think you feel confident if you're the Giants, you know what? Let him take a linebacker one-on-one. Let him take a safety one-on-one. Good luck trying to bring him down. But you just don't want to see the penetration into the backfield, which is going to hurt any running back, regardless of how talented they are. So can they clean those types of things up? Meaning you're not seeing as much penetration where Barkley's now, the minute he gets the handoff ball, he's got to immediately make somebody miss. If you clean that up, then I think you're helping the run game no matter what type of stride one offensive lineman sure. makes to another. Sure. And that, I think, is an important part of the conversation here because of the talent that you have out of the backfield, which most teams don't necessarily have that luxury. And then again, there's always that philosophy that on occasion, in some weeks, in some matchups, you'll actually want to use the pass to set up the run. And if and the Barkley Giants can help in that department too, sure. And if the Giants can show that they're adequate in their pass protection, which we now believe they're going to be, well, now you do that, you loosen up the defense, and now guess what? Run blocking isn't as difficult anymore because teams got to play back a little bit because they're worried about the pass too much. They can't stack the box. Two zero one nine three nine four five one three. That is a telephone number here. Lance Meadow, Paul Latino, with you on Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Let's head back to the lines. We got Patrick in California. Patrick, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Good morning, Lance. Uh, thank you. Uh, you actually stole my thunder a little bit uh, in the last couple of minutes talking about the offensive line, but uh, that's why I love listening to you. You're so knowledgeable. Well, thanks for um, tuning in. We appreciate that. Yeah, and Paul, I love your knowledge as well um, and your old school mentality. Um, <laughs> it's extremely enjoyable listening to it. Um, thank you. But have, having said that, yeah. uh, I get the impression that Gettleman is an old school guy. Sure. Um, and, and watching just his signings in the last couple of years and with uh, this uh, recent signing with Remmers, um, he's addressing the offensive line. He's addressing the de- defensive line and secondary. Um, and just I, I want your comments and, and uh, what you feel, because my feelings are that uh, I just recently read an article with Dan Graziano and ESPN and how his feelings are that uh, the Giants have declined. One of the teams that have declined the most this year in this offseason has been the Giants because of letting go of Collins and Odell Beckham Jr. But being a longtime, a lifetime Giants fan out here on the West Coast and watching uh, the last four Super Bowls they've won, we've had uh, a good template on and a good sample size on what it takes to win Super Bowls. And if you, if you see it, they've had a stout offensive line, a, a, a stout defense to an elite defense, and a running game. And a quarterback who is smart and who had that it factor, who knew how to perform under pressure. And Graziano's argument with uh, the quarterback signing with um, Daniel is that he had a 59% completion percentage in the ACC. And you can't use statistics for quarterbacks. Of course you can't. And so I don't think that argument holds any water. Look, here's the thing that you have to remember. Football, and you sound like a young fella, but obviously you know something about the game because you realize that it all starts in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Okay? That's where it starts. You can't build a house on quicksand. Okay? Can't be done. The Giants have improved their trenches. They have improved their front seven on defense, and I call it the front seven because so much has happened now with the games and the sub-packages and the defensive multiple looks up front. You have to call it the front seven. They've improved their front seven, and they've improved their offensive line. So they've actually made their foundation on both sides of the ball better. Hence, the team is going to be better. And anybody who says otherwise does not understand the game. 
Well, in respect to the point about Daniel Jones's completion percentage, Patrick, keep in mind, you know, you can look at that number and it's a fact, but you also need to take into consideration the Duke offensive line, receivers dropping balls. I don't know if that number is adjusted based on drops, nor do I really care at the end of the day because we got to wait and see what Daniel Jones on the NFL level, what he does there. But those numbers don't tell the whole story about the personnel he was working with, I guess is my point. So that would not be the first statistic I would throw out to criticize Daniel Jones. Well, he didn't have a high completion percentage in the ACC. All right, well, what was he working with? You know, what was the talent around him? And how did he fare with respect to that? How did that impact his numbers? That's an important part of the conversation in addition to that statistic on an island. Absolutely. And if you look at uh, the previous um, quarterback the Giants have won Super Bowls with, they had that it factor. They weren't the most talented in the league, but they had an offensive line, and that offensive line, uh, line gave them an opportunity to work within the system. And you look at Aaron Rodgers, these amazing, talented quarterbacks, one Super Bowl. Well, you well, have Dan Marino, yeah. Dan Marino well, who is well, the most talented quarterback ever, zero Super Bowls. Let, let, let's, you, ju- let's just say this. Phil Simms was not the most talented quarterback of his day. But you'd be hard-pressed to find coaches of his era that would not have wanted him on their team and obviously had the best Super Bowl in NFL history. By the way, I, I, I've said this before on the show, but I'm going to give you the numbers. Drew Brees, of the star quarterbacks in the game, he is the one that proves you can, in fact, improve your accuracy from the time you come out of school to the time you're in the NFL. Drew Brees' lifetime completion percentage is over 68% in the National Football League. When he was in college, his career college completion percentage was 61%. So from 61, he went up to over 67. And don't tell me it's a small sample size because Drew Brees has been playing this game forever. So With different personnel, you know, too. So, so, absolutely. So I don't want to hear that, oh, based on his college completion percentage, automatically he has a limited ceiling in the NFL. That is such garbage. Absolutely. Anyway. Patrick, uh, appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for tuning in and weighing in as well. What the last caller laid out by going down the road of the Aaron Rodgers, the Dan Marinos, and it's something we've talked about a lot. You need assistance. You need help. The quarterback is not on an island where he's going to win and lose games all by himself. People can throw out that narrative. That's fine. But... Aaron Rodgers, if you're going to tell me that he only won one Super Bowl, then that means that he needs a defense, he needs a running game, he needs an offensive line. Now, in fairness, the Packers have made the playoffs a lot more often than the Giants had. So they've been a consistent franchise to that degree, but they haven't necessarily been able to make deep postseason runs consistently. And why? Because once you get to the postseason, in order to separate the men from the boys, you need to have the defensive front. You need to have the offensive line. There's a reason why the Rams played the Patriots in the Super Bowl. They had the least amount of question marks and issues in the trenches. New England also had a really good secondary to make up for a pass rush that only accounted for 30 sacks like the Giants, but it started on the interior. Let's head back to the phone lines. We got Jimmy in New York. Jimmy, welcome to Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you have for us? Hey, guys. How are you? Can you hear me okay? We hear you loud and clear. Yeah. All right. Uh, I, I just want to make a point. Uh, basically, I'm in the Eli Manning camp. Um, I'm a firm believer that with the right team around him, he has at least uh, two good years left in him. Um, So it it is fair to say that when Daniel Jones was picked, I kind of had my heart set on uh, an edge rusher, and it did take a few days for it to set in that we did take Daniel Jones. And just comparing uh, him to Dwayne Haskins, I know that there are a lot of novice uh, football watchers out there that look at his stat, just what you guys have been speaking about. They see 50 touchdowns to eight uh, interceptions, and they compare his stats to Daniel Jones, and right away, you know, they're screaming bloody murder. They got the wrong guy. Just to give an example, to that novice watcher, I went to a high school football game this year where there were two spread offense, two spread offenses on both sides of the ball, I saw two 17-year-old kids throw for eight touchdowns, over 800 yards in passing. Phenomenal entertainment. But the bottom line was, I I think this is the kicker that that everybody has to think about. One quarterback was committed to an FCS school, was going to Monmouth College, who threw for four touchdowns. The other quarterback was not even going to play 
college football on the next level, he was going to play lacrosse at Harvard University. So the point I'm trying to make is it's so hard to scout somebody from a spread offense, especially with only one year of experience. And if you're looking at it from a, a, from a football point of view and a scouting perspective, if you're going to take a quarterback in the first round, uh, unequivocally, you got to take Daniel Jones. And not saying Dwayne Haskins is not going to have a great career, but the bottom line is you can't take a, a, a quarterback uh, with a spread offense based solely on their stats, uh, especially what I've seen at the high school level this year alone. That's really all I have to say. I appreciate the, uh, you guys giving me a little bit of time. Uh, you guys did a wonderful job at the draft, and I do love the show. Have a great day. All right, Jimmy. Appreciate Thank you the very phone much. Call. Thanks so much. The other thing that you have to add to this conversation, and he was talking about spread offenses, they're also making these decisions about which quarterback to take because of things off the field, the conversations they have, which nobody is privy to know what exactly goes on in those conversations. The classroom work that they run them through some schemes. Hey, how do you react on the board based on what you see? All of those things are also a part of the evaluation process. So that's why anybody who just looks at Dwayne Haskins stats and Daniel Jones stats and says, well, Dwayne Haskins is 10 times the better quarterback. That's fine. You're entitled to your opinion, but also know the Giants are not just making a decision based on numbers on a page and also what they see on the field. They're also considering how they interacted with the quarterbacks the research they do about their upbringing, their family members, this and that. There are so many factors that go into the homework that if you don't know all of those factors, you don't know what their takeaways were. So therefore, it's very hard to understand, well, why would they take one quarterback over the other? If you had all the information, I think it'd be a little bit clearer. Let's head back to the phone lines. Len is in Columbia, Maryland. Len, what's happening? Hey, guys. How you doing? Hey, Lance, first off, thanks for getting the answer to that quarterback question that I posed yesterday. You got that pretty quickly. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I think it was a great question. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, Paul. Yeah. Uh, Gre- Greg Larson, in his first three years in the league, he started at tackle, mm-hmm. moved to guard, then moved to center. Yep. Played all three positions. He was a terrific ball player. Well, he was on the title teams that went to the NFL championship <laughs> games. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, actually, that uh, that 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 really says it all. Pretty good. Hey, listen, um, I'm, I'm glad we signed Remmers. You know, we got a veteran tackle, uh, you know, right tackle. Uh, good competition out there now, um, and, and we'll see who uh, you know who wins this thing. I think it's probably going to be Remmers, but we'll you know we'll see as the year as it, as, as we move toward game one. You know, the one thing we haven't really had a chance to talk about, not just you and I, but as the off season has moved along, what what do you think about Barkley's need for better blocking at the tight end position? Now I'm not talking about down the field. I'm talking about that in line tight end. It always seems to me is such an important position in the run game. What I, I mean, you guys have any feeling about where we where we stand with our Tight end run blocking, and again, I'm talking about in line tight end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is your? I, I mean, do you think we're? I mean, has it been good enough for a guy named Bark? You know, for a guy like Barkley, I, I think better blocking at that at the tight end position. Again, in line um, would make a huge difference. I think you know, Red Ellison, an extension of that offensive line. Man, do you have I, any I opinion think, on that? I think Red Ellison, who initially under Coach McAdoo, in my opinion, wasn't used to his full extent of, of potential. I thought he played well last year. And to be honest with you, I have no problem with Red Ellison as the inline blocking tight end. I think he is certainly an above average uh, uh, player to do that. And I don't see the complaint. Okay, and are you comfortable with Simonson as well in, in that, that, that blocking scheme? I mean, there were times where we, we it appeared at the end of last season where we were using mm-hmm. Wheeler almost as the third tight end. And I, and I don't have a problem yeah. with that either, to be perfectly honest. You know me. Come on now, Len. How long have you been listening to the show? I'm a never long, one to hesitate. Time. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm never one to hesitate jumbo package. You know me. I have no trouble at all bringing in the sixth offensive lineman. If you got to smash mouth it down the field, bring yep. in that sixth lineman. 
They did that years ago with, with Seibert before he got a starting job. They did yeah, that with yeah, Jason absolutely. Whittle. Absolutely. I Very mean, you point. know, they've been Very doing that point. forever. Okay. Yeah. I, I, you know, I hope you guys are right. I'm, I'm not a big expert on that. I just feel like we needed a little better blocking from that tight end. The one thing I like about Ellison, when Ellison catches the ball, Paul, he turns those shoulders north-south quicker he does. than anybody that I remember. I mean, he just turns and runs down upfield or downfield, but, man, he gets them square real quick. I, I like that about Ellison. Um, I, I just think we can do a little better with our blocking tight end. Hey, listen, thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. Great All right, show, guys. You got it. Great. Appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much. Yeah, I think Ellison is somewhat of an underrated receiver. That's what I was going to go uh, where Lane left off in terms of what he brought to the table at times when he could catch the football. I know this is not necessarily an inline tight end. I also think it's relevant to bring up Elijah Penny. And with him now perhaps having a full offseason with the team, what he can aid at the fullback position to also help the running game. Let's not lose track of that as well. I know Coach Shermer has said he prefers a fullback and that his fullback has to be able to catch the ball. Look, you're never going to see me diss a fullback. They had Hedgecock in 2007. They had Hynoski in 2011. So you're never going to see me diss a fullback. But I can understand if in today's game, as it has evolved, if they decide they're better off saving that roster spot and not using it on a fullback and they want to use it for somebody else and they decide that their tight end blocking scheme and their jumbo blocking scheme is good enough to get it done, I'm okay with that. I don't think it has to be a fullback. But if they can make it work, for sure. Why not? Penny also has the ability to catch the ball on the backfield, which is a must if you're going to be a fullback on this team. Shermer said that over and over again, and I think that's the other part of the appeal of perhaps using a roster spot on someone like that. Final comment I want to make before we sign off. The the one year that Remmers was actually able to play a full season as a starting right tackle was 2015 when he was with the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Because in 17, again, only 10 games cut short by injury. But in 2015, he did play the full 16 games as the starting right tackle. I had him charged for four and a half sacks that season. Then in the three postseason games, he had two sackless games. And then in the Super Bowl, Von Miller got him twice off the edge for those forced fumbles. But, But in the regular season, I had him only allowing four and a half sacks in the full 16 games for the Panthers as their starting right tackle in 2015. Bass got him off the edge uh, with Tennessee. Atlanta's Babineau got him uh, off the edge on a stunt. Uh, Beasley got him off the edge uh, against Atlanta in their rematch. And Tampa Bay's Carter uh, got him inside on a delayed blitz. Davis also got him on an inside move. The Bass sack against Tennessee, I only charged him with half a sack. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't seeing it as a full responsibility on him. That's why it came out to four and a half in 16 games. Uh, I think you'd sign up for four and a half in 16 games out of him this year. Plus, he also has a lot more experience under his belt at this point in his career, too, compared sure. to where he was when he was helping the Panthers get to the Super Bowl. So that's important to note as well. That is going to wrap up Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by Coors Light. Appreciate all the phone calls. We'll try to address some tweets off the air. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday, and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.